couple of things. Um, first, a couple of weeks ago, you guys were uh, very generous in celebrating my 50th birthday. I wanted to say thank you for uh, not only Dr. Pepper, but more importantly for your messages, for your well wishes, for your love and your grace, uh, particularly your grace over all these years, right? I mean, you guys have endured me for close to a third of my life, and so uh, I'm very thankful uh, for uh, the privilege I have to walk with you through uh, life together and through faith together and through community together, but uh, thank you for that celebration. It was um, very good, and I think I'm stocked with Dr. Pepper for a while, so I should, uh, I should be fine in that sense. I also wanted to take just a moment and uh, mention and actually pray for uh, what's going on around the world. I'm sure, uh, like me, yesterday you were um, heartbroken a bit by seeing the, the terrorist attacks in Israel and knowing what's to come out of that is, is never a, um, a pretty thing. And so um, I just wanted to take a moment this morning and, and pray for the people there, um, if you will. Lord, thank you for uh, your love and grace, and uh, we recognize that our faith shares so many roots in the Jewish faith and the Old Testament and in that part of the world. We recognize that you have a plan and that ultimately your kingdom is coming and will come. But in the meantime, when we see war, when we see terrorism, when we see uh, innocence killed, it's heartbreaking. And so, Lord, we pray for moms and dads, sons and daughters, and pray for those who've been devastated in the last 36 to 48 hours. We pray for comfort, we pray for peace, and we pray for wisdom. Uh, Lord, I pray for for you to give wisdom to world leaders, and I ultimately pray that your kingdom would come, that we would know how to live that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I love you guys. Today, as we continue our series, Real ID, we're making our way through Colossians 3. If you have your Bibles, you might open them with me there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. We give them away for free. I saw someone grab one last week. I was highly encouraged by that uh, because it's not just a saying we say. We really, we really mean it. We want everybody to have a Bible, and uh, you are more than welcome to have one of ours. Today, particularly, I want to talk about how to overcome an us-versus-them mentality through love and grace, how to build real community rather than build this sense of us versus them. Tribalism has been a part of American life for a long, long time. In fact, my entire life, there's been groups of us versus them, really, if I think about it. That somehow we find our identities, our loyalties, our sense of belonging in our tribes. But on the other hand, once we have found those tribes, we find enemies and people to hate, and people to blame over in the other tribes. I know it's a really difficult subject to talk about, but who's chocolate and who's vanilla? I just got to know. 
Chocolate? Now, we're not going to Neapolitan until we get to the end of the sermon. You're overcoming tribalism now, brother. All right, again, chocolate? Vanilla? Uh-huh. Well, you can get that. You can get the Neapolitan and leave the strawberry in the trash. Yeah, a bunch of you voted twice. How many of you are ice cream people? Yeah, that's what I thought. See, see, I, I, let's 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 try this again. Uh, Seahawks. Forty Niners. I mean, in this part of the country, Cowboys. I knew there'd be two, three. Right? It's we find ways, and, and certainly we could make fun of it. There are plenty of sporting events where we find our tribes and ducks, beavers, etc., where, where it's fun. But it crosses over into not fun very, very early in American life. The tribalism of middle school and high school, the ins and the outs, the cools and the not cools, those who play sports and... <clears throat> those who don't, right? It extends into every other part of life where in American life, people seem divided by religion, by race, by politics, by gender, by urban versus rural, rural right? Educated versus uneducated. I literally read a study this week uh, that an elementary kindergarten teacher took kids who got along very well in their classroom and mostly all liked each other. And one day said, we're going to get into two groups, brown eyes and blue eyes. And she treated one group intentionally different. And then the next day, the one she switched who she treated different, meaning one got preferred favor one day, and the other got preferred favor the next day. And in no time at all, those kids were fighting among the groups. It took two days. This happens in American life all the time. We find our belonging. We find our sense of identity. We find our people we trust in us. And of course, along with that sense of trust comes the benefit of the doubt. But in giving ourselves that, we find a them, someone to blame, someone, with, someone for whom we give no benefit of the doubt. We just polarize and dehumanize. Again, whether it's politics or race or gender or urban versus rural, Educated versus uneducated, religion, you name it. The church, frankly, doesn't have a whole, lot of better, a whole lot of better track record when it comes to these kinds of issues. The American church is more divided today than I think I've ever seen it in my lifetime. American churches divide by age, 
It's common in churches that are even intergenerational as we are to have conflicts over finances between the, you know, the seniors and the young parents. To see business meetings pulled apart over issues like new music and old music. Exactly. Exactly. You don't know how thankful I was when we purchased these new chairs that not one person said, but what color are they? We just chose the color and said, these are what we're getting. Looks good in the room. But so many churches are torn apart. Have you ever been a part of a church torn apart over youth ministry versus worship ministry? Or a staff torn apart over my kingdom versus my kingdom? Much less division, racism, sexism, ageism, religionism. These divide us in so many ways. I'm personally convinced that we have the answer in the love of grace, love and grace of Jesus. If only we will live it. We just have to live it. Love and grace. That's part of why we strive to be, and I'm very thankful we do, to be an intergenerational church with all ages that are valued and a multi-ethnic church where people from all backgrounds are valued. I'm not even sure how to say it. A socioeconomically diverse church where people are not treated differently based on how much they give or whether they give. The African-American poet Langston Hughes once wrote this poem. It's short. He said, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind Let's take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. I think it's pretty evident, honestly. Listen to these words with me. I'm going to repeat a little bit of what we studied last week. But I want you to see how this flows in context. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 8. But this flows from the previous verses we've already studied. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. The now you must also is a reflection that they weren't dealing with these things. They saw some sins as worth dealing with and some sins as acceptable. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, in the image of its creator, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, 
No barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, nor free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he goes on, says, bear with one another. Literally, bear with one another says put up with one another, literally. We'll get into that in the weeks ahead. Forgive one another. There's a bunch of other things. Above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I I think there's a couple of things that just seem abundantly obvious in the way I read the text in context. One, God takes a breakdown in our fellowship and our unity far more seriously than we do. Two, it's very clear to me that this is about identity, about where we find our identity. It seems more than obvious that this church was creating battles internally between people of different backgrounds. That in the church of Colossae, there were Gentile and Jew. There were slave and free. There were in this church barbarian or Scythian or maybe people they could reach, but they refused to reach. And so inside this church, you had anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. And their tribalism was a problem inside the church, not just outside the church in Colossae. Let's run back through it again. Think about it. No Gentile or Jew. The word Gentile also easily means Greek. So he's saying that in Christ, it's not ethnic divisions. It's Christ is in everyone and Christ loves everyone. And we're talking inside the church, people of faith people who've given their lives for Jesus Christ. But I would extend this to every person to whom Jesus has died for. Meaning how we treat them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No circumcised or uncircumcised. I told you guys before in this verse, the word uncircumcised literally means foreskins. It was a pejorative term that was used by one group to imply we're better than you because you're just a bunch of... No barbarian, no Scythian, no ethnic prejudice is biblical. No religious prejudice is biblical. No slants... (laughs) Right? The word barbarian is a term that the Greek world used to refer to people who were non-Greeks. And they called them barbarians because their language to them sounded like... It sounded like bar, 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 bar. And in a sort of language... <laughs> my language is better than your language. They called everyone else... The barbars, barbarians. Particularly loathed in the Roman world, 
We're foreigners from certain places. Scythians were people who were from north of the Black Sea. Colossae is in modern-day Turkey, south of the Black Sea. So you have a division here of sort of location. But Scythians were thought to be particularly brutal. By the way, uh, where, where, where ancient Scythia is, was then, modern-day Ukraine today. He says, no barbarians, no Scythians. Both words were used by Greek speakers in the Roman world as slants against foreigners. There's nothing biblical about prejudice when it comes to how insiders treat outsiders. No slave nor free. I think we would all agree that slavery is wrong. But in that day and time, it was, not, it was law of the land. The Roman world was often built on slavery. In fact, when Romans overtook, and, and the Romans didn't invent this, when one country overtook another country, they took those who were taken back to be as slaves. And in that world, where socioeconomics were so difficult, the poor often sold themselves into slavery, if you will, to, temporarily at least, to pay back a debt. The argument Paul is making here is we come to church and it's not, hey, you slaves sit over there and you free people sit over here. It's not, hey, you get the preferred seat and the slaves in the church come and wait on you. Think about how uplifting this would have been for a slave in that day. who might or might not have been from another country, who might or might not, but likely would have been treated poorly. Think of a church where master and slave, hear me, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not saying slavery is a good thing. I believe that it's the right decision of the world to abolish slavery. Many of the early abolitionists were Christians. Unfortunately, many of those who fought against ending slavery were also Christians. And they used, frankly, Colossians 3 and Colossians 4 to make their arguments on both sides. But think about the power in a church when master and slave are no longer master and slave. Brother. Sister. Socioeconomic prejudice is by no means biblical. And while I'm on the subject, sexism, I think, has no place in a church. And this doesn't say that these things we're born into don't matter. It doesn't mean that, that we're colorblind or that we're blind to gender. It does mean 
that we learn to treat people and love people the way Jesus would treat people and love people. At some level, this identity-defining passage says, who are you? You are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. Christ is in you. And Christ loves all of you. That's who you are. At some level, this tells me quite a bit about me and my identity. And at some other level, this isn't about me. This is about everybody else and how Christ sees them and loves them too. And I need to learn to treat everyone exactly as Jesus would treat them. Whether it's us being sent out into the world or the world showing up at our doorsteps and entering into our doors. And the church, you know, is not a building. It's a people. Love and grace aren't just concepts to be celebrated. They're realities to be put into practice. Christian love means treating every human being the way Jesus has treated me. In fact, that's the one thing I want to convince you of today. And I haven't done this lately, but I want you to say this out loud with me. Okay, ready? Go. Christian love means treating every human being the way that Jesus has treated me. I'm going to do it one more time. Ready? Let's do it. Christian love means treating every human being the way that Jesus has treated me. Can we be honest? That's impossible without Jesus. I would say it's hard. But it's not hard. It's impossible without Jesus. The world has no clue how to figure this out. We spend fortunes in politics trying to solve the divides of the world. But are we any better off for it? Did you notice during the pandemic, people forgot how to people, if you use the word people as a verb? Right? When the world started regathering back together, we lost our ability to people with each other. And some people are just still completely lost when it comes to peopling. There's no ability in some to have conversation. For some, we just live in another world. I was down on campus helping out the other day, and I was, uh, my, my, my role, we were giving away free pizza to college students to try to share information about uh, our college ministry, and they assigned me the fun role of standing outside uh, the, the Lilith business building as students come out and to announce that there's free pizza right across the road. And so I had cards with events coming up to hand people, and every once in a while, I just felt like the guy at the baseball game, you know? Popcorn, peanuts, right? So I'm just there, pizza. Anybody like free pizza? There's pizza across the road. Would you like some free pizza? Hand a card. Here's some more information about events we have coming up. What's the catch? No catch, it's free. So a couple of funny stories came out of that. Uh, one, 
I noticed how often I would say pizza and people had no clue what I was saying because they were doing this. Except it was pods, right? Right? Because you get out of class and you put in your... And it's a college campus, so it's almost all Apple. Because, you know, if you're cool, you don't use a... You don't use an Android. That's so your parents. So... Pizza, anybody? Did you say something? A couple occasions I got, hey, free pizza. Anybody want free pizza? Oh, man, that sounds great. Wait, is it Christian? I said, this is what I wish I'd said. I wish I'd have said, no, it's pepperoni. But what I did say is it's not Christian. The pizza's not Christian. But to be honest, we are. Like, oh man, I don't want any of that Christian pizza. Like, you know, Christian spit in it or something. And so we gave away, I don't know how many slices, 1,200 slices of pizza, something like that. And maybe more than that. Um, it was so many pizzas. So much given away. But I'm in a diverse environment watching how people treat one another and watching how people group themselves into their normal social identities. How powerful is it when a church says, we're not going to live that way, we're going to live the Jesus way. The Bible's literally telling me that I'm not to reject people whom God has chosen. That I'm not to curse or call atrocious those whom God has called holy. That I'm not to be apathetic or hateful towards those God has called dearly loved. And I'm not to make an enemy out of those whom Jesus died for to make brother and sister. The most important identity in any of our lives is Christ. Christ in all and is all. And the second most important identity I think you can find here is in Colossians chapter 1 verse 2. He writes to the church at Colossae and says, to chapter 1, verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who you are, brothers and sisters. That's our marching orders. Not who's superior, not who's loved or not loved, not who's an enemy, not who's unsacred or desacred or damned or evil. This isn't a new concept. It's not like Jesus is the only person to ever teach this. I'm trying to be honest about that. But let's think about this one. You know, Jesus, Jesus answer, what are the two, what's the most important commandment in the law? And he's like, oh, that's easy. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Right? So we put Love God on the wall over there, and it drives our values. But the second is like it to 
Yeah, love one another or love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you know where that love your neighbor quote is from? Leviticus chapter 19. Listen to these words in context. Leviticus 19 verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. Now judge is a word we're not very comfortable with in this context because it sounds like he's contradicting himself right judge fairly but notice they were judging based on rich and poor they were showing favor to the wealthy or favor to the poor and he's saying no you're to treat everyone fairly do not go about spreading slander among your people do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life i am the lord do not hate your brother in your heart This starts to sound like Colossians 3, doesn't it? Rebuke rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. I'm starting to think that this is... Paul's just rephrasing this text in Colossians 3. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus was not new in this teaching. This had been the way God had taught his people to always treat people. But the Jewish people hadn't done that. There's that whole we're God's people thing in the Old Testament. We're God's chosen Which, by the way, is that language of chosen. But when God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make you into a people, right? That as many as the sands on the seashore, it was for the people of God to bless the nations, not for them to be superior to all of the rest of the nations. So let's be super practical. In some time we've got left. Let's talk about, because we got a whole outline here. I think I've filled in two blanks, right? Why not to play favorites and how to build community the Jesus way as we live this out as a church? Why don't we play favorites? Why not play favorites? Let's just think logically about this. One, we are neither the judge nor God. Anybody in the room, God? Yeah, the invisible one is, and I'm visible, so I'm not him. He's present, but I'm not him. We're neither the judge nor God. When I begin to say, my tribe's better than your tribe, I am, in my nature, elevating myself above others and judging them. Number two, why not play favorites? We use the wrong standards. What are our standards? Typically ourselves. We judge other people based on who we are, or more specifically, be straight, we don't live up to our own standards, but we give ourselves a lot of the benefit of the doubt. So we still think we live up to our own standards when in fact we don't. And then we hold other people to the standards we don't live up to. Fair or unfair? Am I being? We use the wrong standards. You remember when there's that story where God chose David among all his brothers and there's that 
statement that says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We've been obsessed with the outward appearance really since the beginning, certainly since the Tower of Babel. Number three, we judge what we cannot know. I'm not saying there's not a place for judges in this world, meaning court systems and justice and things of that nature. I'm not saying that. I am saying that for justice to be fair, you have to know as much as possible. That's what fair trials are about, right? For all of the facts to come out. But we often judge before we know all of the situation, before we know all of the facts. And when it happens to us personally, oh, that bothers us. Think about, think about at work when, when someone went to the boss and they said blah, blah, blah about you and that wasn't exactly what you said or that wasn't exactly what went down and you're demanding an audience with the boss to be able to make things straight, right? Because you don't want to be judged unfairly. And yet in our tribalism, we do it with groups all the time. Number four, why not to play favorites? Well, let's think about this. We're equal in a lot of ways, but particularly we're equal in sin. And Colossians is telling us in salvation. If we're equal in sin, and we're equal in salvation, and by equal in salvation, I mean there's not the group who achieves their own salvation and the groups who don't. There is one way of salvation, and it's not something we can achieve. then why play favorites? I'm on the same footing that every other sinner is. There is no hope from me apart from grace. And I am undeserving of grace just as much as anyone else is. And yet Jesus loves me anyway. And yet Jesus loves them Anyway, and yet Jesus died for my sin, even though I don't deserve it. And yet Jesus died for their sin, yet they don't deserve it. Somewhere along the way, Christians tend to end up asking, well, what about those people who reject God? Because if they've rejected God, aren't we better in a sense? But that eh, philosophically makes us better because we accepted and them worse because they rejected. And in essence, what it's doing is it's saying we're better because of the decision we made, which in essence goes flies in the face of the nature of salva salvation by grace through faith. In a lot of senses, it puts salvation on our shoulders. Am I saying everybody is saved? No. I'm saying how we treat people, saved or unsaved, should be driven by how Jesus would treat them. So how do we show love the Jesus way? Where do we start? Where do we begin? Well, let's think about what this beautiful text is saying. 
Number one, let's recognize that only Jesus is supreme. Again, uh, I like to talk about words that, that, you know, we know, but we don't necessarily use a lot. The most common place I hear the word supremacy show up in our world today is in ethnic divisions. When we think about white supremacy or black supremacy or something of that nature. I mean, as supreme is in some sense a superlative, meaning like, like, you know, I want the bigger than big. I want like the supreme size or, but you know, when I go, I don't know when you go to, I don't go to Starbucks. When you go to Starbucks, it's got like Latin names or something like tall is small or something. I, do you know what I'm talking about? Right. Venti. And like, I don't know these words. I don't know. I know Verde is green, but it's not Spanish. Right. So, so what I do know is that supreme can be a size in a sense, or like, you know, like, I don't know, when I was a kid, they had Sundays, one or two scoops. We ate at a place called Brahms. If you've ever been in Oklahoma or Texas, you know what I'm talking about for ice cream. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. They're the best cherry limeade on the planet. But, but hamburgers, fries, and ice cream. All in the same place. 31 flavors, giant, huge scoops of ice cream. It's all good. You know what I'm talking about. All right, so they'd have a, they'd have a little a sundae with two scoops. But then you'd get a banana split and it had... It was supreme. It was better. And we come along and we say, well, my race is better than your race. And I read my Bible and I just said, there's no place for that. There's just flat out no place for that. Let me read you the words of Colossians 3 again, but I'm going to read them from the, the message paraphrase. This is not a translation. I'm not trying to hold it up as one, but I do like the way Eugene Peterson said this in his paraphrase. Colossians 3.11, he said, words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. Only Jesus is supreme. Supremacy is rooted in pride. Pride always stokes division. Christianity is rooted in humility. Because there is no place to come to Christ that doesn't first require me to humble myself. Derwin Gray wrote, We treasure Jesus by treasuring one another. I wonder how much the world would pay attention if Sunday mornings looked more multi-ethnic. And it's why we've said we're going to love everyone and reach everyone in our community. Number two, 
How do we build community the Jesus way? Accept every human being without prejudice. That probably is a little redundant, but I want to make sure there's no room to misinterpret what I'm saying. Over in the book of James, it says, My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. In that context, James 2, it's talking about favoritism between rich and poor. It's addressing where we would say, you're poor, sit in the least preferred seat here in the back. You're rich, come on up front, we've got a seat just for you. Now in our church, it would be the polar opposite, wouldn't it? (laughs) You're rich, we've got a seat in the back just for you. You're poor, you showed up late, oh, right here in the front row, we've got a spot for you in the spit zone, you know? The reality is the gospel breaks down man-made walls and man-made barriers. And the gospel shatters any us-versus-them footing, or any us-versus-them mentality, rather, because the footing is level at the foot of the cross. It's brothers and sisters. It's repentance. Does this mean that we take the idea of sin and throw it out the window? Because there are plenty of churches in American life that are known for accepting everyone. And that means of acceptance is their love. But also at the cost of we don't talk about sin. I just don't see that as biblical either. Jesus talked a whole lot about sin. But I got to admit, liberal churches, conservative churches, they all gather around acceptable sins and unacceptable sins. There are no acceptable sins, and Jesus died for all of them. The only hope of salvation or overcoming sin comes out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, I think we've got to stop making comparisons. Innately built into us versus them is some sense of comparing each other, some sense of saying, hey, I'm better than you based on my perception. That comparison might come from skin color. That comparison might come from how you're dressed. I mean, think about this one. Churches who gather together based on dressing better and dressing poorer. Let's say somebody walks into our doors dressed very finely. Suit, tie, three-piece. Bro, I love the tie today. Yeah. How should we treat them? Love. Another brother or sister walks in, shorts, sandals. How do we treat them? By the way, that's your pastor sometimes, right? Every other day that isn't Sunday is me in shorts and sandals. Middle of winter, 34 degrees. It gets 34 all day and raining. I might put on socks and tennis shoes. But it's got to be pretty cold with my whole neuropathy issues. So, so I'm a shorts. You go into Walmart or Target on a... We even do the world that way, don't we? Divide the world into people who shop at Target and people who shop at Walmart. Like there's nowhere we can't go where this tribalism doesn't play out. But run into me in the middle of winter 
on a random Tuesday and I'm probably wearing shorts and sandals. Is he better with a tie? Am I better with my sandals? No. Let's go another step beyond that. Brother or sister walks in, shabby hair, probably hasn't had a shower in a week or two. Dust everywhere. You know, I mean, looks like pig pen. Probably lives on the street. How do we treat them? Love. Love. The only comparison to make is, is this a person Jesus loves and died for? The answer is always yes. Number four, we accept them and love them because Jesus died for them. This is just what I'm getting at. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew. Think about how powerful it would have been in the early church for there to be these dividing camps of Jew and Greek and for Jew and Greek to get together and go to the local coffee shop in Colossae and order a a tall something or other, you know, caramel macchiato or something from the Roman coffee shop. And for them to say, what's your story? And they share stories together. There's something powerful about sitting across a table rather than shouting extremities at each other. Right? I mean, I, I, I'm not against the rights we have in our country to protest. But I wonder what happens when people on two sides of the street get together and actually say, you're a human being, I'm a human being. Tell me your story. Here's how I came to know Jesus. How did you come to know Jesus? Oh, you haven't yet? Let me tell you. What happens when circumcised and uncircumcised come together? When barbarian and Scythian or slave and free sit across the table from one another as brothers and sisters? And say, Christ loves you, so I love you. How powerful would that be to the world around us? I told us last spring sometime that toxic churches preach that the gospel is for everyone, but healthy churches actually put it into practice. I don't want us to just preach this. I want us to live it. Jesus crossed the greatest of differences you could ever imagine from God to man. And we hold up the littlest differences you can ever imagine and say that's big enough to separate over. Incarnational theology, my long way of saying Christmas, means that God's willing to cross whatever it takes to say I love you. Because love means treating people, anyone, the way Jesus has treated me. I've said the word politics a lot today, but I might as well go a little further with this. Why not have a brother or sister who's, who's Republican sit down with a brother or sister who's a Democrat and someone else who's maybe even further in those. And by the way, both those parties just move into the extremes these days. 
What if we sat down and actually talked? For that matter, what if someone in Congress actually sat down and talked? You know that, gosh, I feel like I do this way too often, but. You know the most important thing for a politician? Get reelected. So every single thing you watch happen in Washington, D.C., when we talk about what's best for the country and we talk about solving problems, all of that is secondary, third, fourth, fifth on the chain. The most important thing is to get reelected. And just look at what happened in the, in the, in the House this week. Republican versus Republican. The whole thing is about getting reelected. It's about power and staying in power. What would happen if we voted in everyday folks who sat across tables and said, how could we solve the problems of the country instead of solving how to be in power? Now, I don't get to have that say when it comes to Washington. But what if in the church, instead of looking at our positions like I'm a pastor as a power thing, if we began to say this is a servanthood thing? What if pastors and deacons were more about servanthood than they were about being served? What if we took Jesus literally when he began to talk about not being about titles and being called father? And, and what, if, what if we actually lived the Jesus way? What if? Don't you think it would be powerful? One last thing, number five, refuse to build walls that Jesus died to tear down. I need to give you this last verse. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, 13 and 14. In a very similar argument, because Ephesians and Colossians parallel one another very closely. Same author writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking about in this context, Gentiles who've been brought near because the Jewish folks said the Gentiles are far away and we're near to God. He says, those who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he, Christ himself, is our peace who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It's the same argument he makes in Colossians 3.11. Here, there's no Jew or Gentile, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free, but... How was it the message said it? From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. May it be so. I'm going to end our service as I often do with two prayers. We pray a prayer of salvation. We pray a prayer of application. I realize this is one of those messages that may or may not hit you where... <laughs> where you live. The world's very good at stoking up divisions among us. I think one of my primary roles in this world clearly 
is to teach the word of God. But in teaching the word of God, I am to stoke up love and grace among us. So I want to pray that as we pray for salvation and as we pray to apply the word today. If you're here and you need Jesus, perhaps for the very first time, you'd recognize that he crossed the ultimate divide from God to human, gave his life, died for your sins, was buried in a borrowed grave, rose again on the third day, is alive today, and wants to live inside of you to live out his love and grace. If you need that, maybe you'd pray even online to receive him right now. Pray with me like this. Dear Jesus, I don't deserve you. And I confess that I get caught up in sin just as much as everyone else. So please forgive my sin. Please take over my life. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe you died. Not only to change my eternity, but to change my heart. So live in me, Jesus. Take over my life. Give me your eyes and your heart for other people. Eyes of love and grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you and maybe online or maybe here in the room, you prayed that prayer for the very first time. I'd love, love, love to celebrate that and share that and know that. Not that I'm going to, you know, necessarily out your story, but, you know, we'd love to talk about baptism that we'll be celebrating in the coming weeks. And we love to introduce people to how to follow Christ and give you a Bible and all the things that come along with celebrating when someone became a Christian. And we'd love to say welcome to the family, but I can't do any of that if I don't know about it. So please, please let us know. I would love to talk to you. All that said, a lot of us prayed a prayer like that a while ago. And I don't know about you, but Jesus is still working on my heart. Anybody? Still work, he's still working on your heart? I need more transformation in this regard of love and grace. Because it's easy, easy, easy to fall back into us and them. So would you pray this prayer of application with me? In fact, would you stand as we pray it together? Maybe you'd pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you that you died, that you accept us when we do not deserve you. So live in us and live your love through us. Change us. Make Harvest Community Church love like you and look like you so that we look like all of our community and help us to love everyone with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I love you guys. As we dismiss us today, I just want to remind you a couple of things. Back on the back, uh, there's a baskets for our communication cards. We'd love to hear from you in that regard. 
Uh, there's a box on the wall for our offerings. You can give in a variety of ways, right? You can give here in the service. You can give online. You can give through your bank. There's a lot of ways to do that. If you're a guest online or here in the room, please know your giving is not what we're after. We want to know you. But that said, those of us that consider Harvest our home, we take that responsibility seriously. Just while I'm on that, it's worth noting. Did anybody catch last month's offering? September was like summer. And its offering looked like summer. And, and we keep money in the bank for just that kind of thing. But we prefer not to live that far upside down. You know what I'm saying? Right? Again, if you're a guest... I'm just talking to people who are saying, I'm a harvester. I'm not trying to guilt us. We don't give out of guilt. We give out of gratitude. But, but something we got to work on in the coming months. Is that fair? All right. All right. Because I know churches only care about one thing, right? Love and grace in Jesus. Exactly. So as you go today, I want you to go knowing that his love really is powerful. And I want you to go in his grace to live it because you're going to get 30 seconds down the road on the drive home and someone's going to cut you off or run a stop sign or something and your heart's going to go right back. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen to me today. Love and grace. This is why Jesus came. Let's live it. All right. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.